Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we're going to begin this afternoon with uh, some mass confession, okay? Here's the question, show of hands. How many in this room have ever made a financial decision and then looked back on later and thought to yourself, boy, that was really dumb? Is there anybody? Okay, lift them up high. Come on, keep them up there. Look around. I just want you to know we are all in good company today, okay? Uh, A couple other questions. I'll let you, uh, we'll just, I'll go through all of these and then we'll let you all raise your hands if any of these apply to you. How many here would like to live with less financial stress and pressure? How many would like to have more breathing room in your budget? How many would like to have the ability to give to worthy causes or to emergency relief when there's natural disasters? How many would like to have a lot less anxiety about your finances? Anybody? Okay. All right, so we all know we're in the same boat, and we all know we have the same desires, so that's what we're going to be talking about. We're wrapping up this series we've called Margin, and and the subtitle for this whole thing is Making Room for What Really Matters. That's what this Margin series has been all about, and we've talked about a lot of different areas, your pace of life, your relationships, your emotional health, all of these different areas in which we need to establish margin. And today we're going to be talking about the one that I think is probably the most needed and the least experienced. It's financial margin. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, how to establish margin in your finances. And I'll tell you what I have observed over my years of pastoring is that this one area impacts all the others more often than not. I have seen lack of financial margin put a strain on friendships, on marriages and families. I have seen lack of financial margin drive people's schedules to the point where they're constantly trying to climb that corporate ladder and make that next pay grade and and put in all that overtime so you can pay off those bills. I've seen it just impact their schedules. I have seen the weight of lack of financial margin, what that does to people emotionally and the stress and the strain and the pressure that it all puts on it, okay? So when we talk about these goals and this place that we're all at, here's the thing. Those things are the very same things your heavenly Father wants for you. He wants you to have that breathing room in your finances, so much so that all throughout Scripture, God talks over and over and over again about our finances and how we handle our finances and and keeping that margin. It is the one topic more than any other that Jesus talked about in his life and ministry on this earth. More than any other single topic, he talked about our money and our finances because this is what God knows about you and knows about me. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if your heart is grabbed in with your treasures... You are missing out on the life that he has for you. And that's why financial margin is so important. And over 3,000 years ago, one of the wisest men that ever lived, given godly wisdom, spoke about a lot of different things, but he talked a lot about this idea of our finances. And his collection of writings make up a section of our Bible called the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And that's where we're going to be today. Now, 
As we go into the book of Proverbs, if you want to turn there, it's a little bit past Psalms. If you open up your Bible in the middle, if you got one of those old school Bibles, um, you open in the middle, that's the book of Psalms. Turn over a few pages towards the back, that'll be Proverbs. Following that is Ecclesiastes. Now, they read differently. The Proverbs and Ecclesiastes reads differently than other passages of Scripture. They're not history, so they don't read as story. And they're not letters like we have in the New Testament from Paul to the churches that, that kind of follow a logical progression. More than anything, what these are, these are snippets. These are like one or two lines or, or three or four lines put together that are just short, pithy, but filled with incredible insight sentences. And so we're going to be kind of scattering around throughout the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. So um, kind of hang with me. We're going to be jumping around a little bit. We've got the, uh, the passages um, printed for you on your outlines, on your, in your um, bulletin, and also online if you want to use that. But here's the thing is, Whatever you are at in your finances, the truths that we're going to talk about today will be applicable to you. Whether you are just starting out in your career, or you are coming up on retirement, or you're already retirement, these truths will apply to wherever you are at financially, okay? And here's the other thing about them. These will apply to you wherever wherever you are at spiritually as well. And whether or not you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, whether or not you're, you understand the Bible or what you believe about God or not sure what you believe about the Bible and God, these things are still true and they will still be applicable to your life because this is the way God designed us and this is the way that he wants us to live. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about financial margin. Now, I gave you a definition at the beginning of this series. Margin is simply the space between your load and your limits. And we all have limits. Okay? When it comes to financial margin, what we're talking about, it is the space between your spending and your income. Okay? That space between your spending and your income, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about margin in your finances. And I'll give you one more, a little bit of disclaimer here. I raised my hand along with everybody else. Okay? I have made my fair share, probably more than my fair share of financial blunders. And here is the thing that I have found. When I have deviated from what Scripture tells us about how to handle our finances, it always end up badly. And when I've gotten off track, I've always found that the best way to get back on track is to go back to the way that God tells me how to handle my finances. So I'm not talking to you today like someone who has never made a mistake or got it all together. I am still paying for some of the financial blunders that I have made along the way. But these truths are true no matter what. And I want to help you with this whole thing. So I'm going to give you four decisions, four decisions that you can make that will be able to create margin in your finances. I'm going to start with this first decision is a decision to reevaluate your financial priorities. Just take a good look at your priorities when it comes to your finances. See, there's a number of really good reasons for establishing financial margin. There's a lot of really good reasons or benefits to having breathing room when it comes to our finances. You will sleep better at night because you won't have those worries and those pressures that keep you awake at night, okay? It will improve your marriage because you won't be fighting over those expenses that you didn't tell her about or tell him about, and now it shows up at the year month end statement, and you go, whoa, wait, we're all about, ah, and then the fight happens, okay? It will save you a lot of that. It will help you in all kinds. It will relieve that stress and that pressure that emotionally just weighs you down, okay? There's a lot of really good benefits to it, but those aren't the best ones. The best ones are what it does for you as a person. 
Because remember what we said, our, our, the subtitle for this margin series is making space for what really matters. And what really matters, the bottom line, is the person that you are becoming. And so when we're talking about financial margin, the thing that it's got to start with is it's got to start with your heart. Because you can establish financial margin and still be greedy, stingy, inconsiderate, and self-indulgent. Okay, that can still be the person that you are. And so when we're talking about financial margin, if this is just about pride or, or, or bettering your bottom line or raising your standard of living, you've missed the point because the deeper point is the person that you're becoming. It's all about your heart. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. See, the bottom line is what God wants is your heart. God isn't after your money. When we, when we talk around here sometimes about finances and, and all of these kinds of things, people start getting really antsy about all that stuff. And you're like, well, just God's always after my money. Listen, let me tell you this. If God wants your money, he does not need your permission to take it. Okay? He's not after your money. What he is after is your heart. And like I said, that's what Jesus said. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And what he wants is your heart. But he knows that there's got to be a fundamental shift in your heart. There's got to be a shift in your financial priorities. And a lot of it comes down to this, is simply settling the ownership issue. And the ownership issue is this. God made it all. And God owns it all. And he has entrusted some of it to you. That's just a really good rule of thumb. In fact, repeat that after me. God made it all. God owns it all. And he has entrusted some of it to me. See, you and I are just managers. We are stewards. See, I, I was taught at a very early age. In fact, my first paycheck, my parents taught me the principle of tithing. 10% of your income, very first thing, it gives, you give back. You give back. You give back to God. You give back to God's work. Because he's the one who provided it for you. And I know your problem is thinking, wait a minute, I worked really, really hard this week for that money. Who gave you the abilities and the skills to do the job you do that earns you the paycheck? See, ultimately, it all comes from God. And so it's a reminder. Now, all of my growing up years, I've learned that principle, and I tithe first paycheck, every paycheck ever since. It's always been I've tithed first, first 10%, goes back to God's work. But I'd always kind of thought of it growing up, especially more like giving God his cut, okay? It's kind of like, you know, 10%, you give God his cut, or like you, you tip the waiter, you tip the waitress. In fact, you do 15%, at least for them, okay? But it was always this kind of thing, okay, God gets his 10%, and then the rest of it goes for my own meal, he said, no, 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 look at Honor the Lord with your wealth. All of it. All of it. Starting with the first fruits. The 10% is simply to remind me and to remind you that it all comes from God. He made it all. He owns it all. He's given some of it and entrusted it to me. Why does he do that? Because it's really the only safe place to put your trust is in him. Look at this proverb. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. You just have to look at the first month of 2016 and the stock market and the volatility there. It's been up. It's been down 400, 500 points all over the place. If you think there is security there, 
folks, that's a false hope. What God is saying is, listen, put your trust in me. Start there. Don't put your trust, because you're pressing your riches, they're going to fall. That is not a good place to put your trust. So the very first step, like I said, if it's going to make any difference in your life, it's got to come at your heart, and it's got to be reevaluating your financial priorities. Then the second thing is decide to live within your means. Because here's what you need to know about your spending. Here's what you need to know about materialism in general. It is an appetite. And just like any other appetite, the more that you feed it, the bigger it grows. You got an appetite and you eat, okay? And you are satisfied for a little while. But after a while, you want more. And what you tend to do is you eat more and more and more. And the more that you eat, the bigger the appetite grows. Look at this next one, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Now, I will prove that to you. I want you to think back 10 years ago. Okay? 10 years ago, maybe you weren't even working, maybe you weren't in the workforce at all 10 years ago, but just think back what you were taking home, what your income was 10 years ago. Now, if I had showed up 10 years ago and told you back then what it is that you are making now and told you in 10 years you were going to be making what you're making right now, you would have probably said to me 10 years ago, whoa, if I ever made that amount of money, all of my financial worries would be over. I would be living fat city. It would be great. I would have no financial worries. And now here we are 10 years later and nothing has changed. You're making more. Why? Because whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And 10 years from now, if you don't make any changes, it's going to be the exact same story. It will never change. Because here's the thing. Every one of us in this room live on a certain percentage of our income. And if, like, you are the typical American, you have no idea what that percentage is. Because here's what happens. This is my income. And the typical American, this is my lifestyle. (laughs) And I am living paycheck to paycheck. And there is no margin. There is no breathing room. If something should happen that causes a decrease in my income, I am in big trouble. Because I am like living at 100% of my income. That is a very tenuous place to be. That is filled with tension and stress. And that's why you don't sleep at night. If you are living right there, that is not good. Now, if this is your income and you adjust your lifestyle here, this space in between, that's margin. That's what we're talking about. It's that breathing room. It's that cushion. If something should suddenly happen to the income, you'll be able to get by for a while. It won't be quite so drastic. That's what you want. That's what we're talking about here. If we would just decide, and and I'm just as guilty. Let me tell you, I am just as guilty. If we would just decide to lower our standard of living, lower our lifestyle, we would have this cushion. We would have this margin. And lowering our standard of living would actually increase our quality of life. Because you won't have that, that 
all those issues, all that stress. Now, actually, if you're the typical American, this is your income, this is your lifestyle. And who's making up the difference? It's a guy named Visa. <laughs> MasterCard, American Express, Discover, whoever your choice of helpers is, okay? That's who's making up the difference. The problem is that you were constantly chasing. See, that's what he goes on. He says, listen, whoever loves money never has money enough. Uh, Proverbs 12, 11, a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. Now, he's not talking about the lottery there. He's not talking about Powerball and mega millions and that next get-rich-quick scheme. What he's simply talking about is the way that most Americans live our lives, that this is our income, this is our standard of living, and that is a fantasy, and we are always chasing it because what happens is we get that pay raise, we get that increase in our income, but automatically what our mind does is we get the increase in income, and then we think, oh, wow, now I can buy more. So we increase our standard of living. And so we're constantly chasing, and our income never catches up with our spending. And that's the thing that he's talking about here. It is chasing a fantasy. So if you're chasing the fantasy, what you need is a reality check. And we all need this. We all need this. And here's the way that you do that. Andy Stanley puts it this way. You need to be a knowing where your money's a going. <laughs> and he suggests this, and it's a great, great suggestion. And I'm going to give it to you today. What you should do, tomorrow starts a brand new month. Month of February. January's gone. We're well into 2016 now, okay? Janu February starts tomorrow. Brand new month. A lot of you got paid on Friday. That was when you got your paycheck because that was the last weekday and you probably already spent most of it, okay? But here's what you can do from now on. Starting with February, save receipts for every purchase you make. Because what you need is a reality check and what you need to know is where your money's going. Everybody's living on a percentage, but nobody knows what that percentage is. So what you can do is for the next two months, because not every bill comes up every month. Some are bi-monthly, some are once a quarter. But at least for two months, save every single receipt for every purchase that you make. And then just write on the receipt when you get it, just for, you know, that was for clothing, that was food, that was eating out, that was household expense, whatever it is, just write on the receipt and stick it in an envelope. And then at the end of the month, or you might want to do this weekly, but pull it out and start a ledger sheet. You can use Quicken, you can use some you know, other you know, financial planning thing. You could do it with a pencil and paper. You don't have to be high tech in this, okay? But just then take out the receipts and start listing them. This is what I spent. This is the category that it comes from. And just keep track of that. And then don't do anything else. Just for the next two months, just save every receipt. You know, when you get that, swipe that card and they say, do you need a receipt? No, no, it'll be on my statement. No, no, no. Take the receipt, write down what it was for. And then at the end of the month, put out that, make up that ledger sheet and just get a picture of where your money is going. Because sometimes we start with budgets, and, and the problem with the budget is we don't even know what our current picture is. So the first thing you need to do is kind of get a picture of what the current situation is. So for the next two months, this is what I would encourage you to do. Save every receipt at the end of the month, total them all up, and just find out where your money's going. What you will find is that you are spending more money in certain areas than you thought you were. And you will find some areas that you can cut back. 
Some areas that you can, you know, change around. Some of them might be difficult places to cut back. I'm not going to tell you this is easy. Some of them will be much easier. But, but you need to know, be knowing where your money's going. Okay. Then, then you can use that to start forming a budget. Third decision. Make the decision to get rid of what Dave Ramsey calls dumb debt. Okay, now, we could argue here today about what is dumb debt and what isn't dumb debt. And, you know, you can't buy a house unless you go into debt. You've got to have a mortgage. And, you, you know, I, I need a student loan because if I don't get a student loan, I won't be able to get the career that will allow me to be able to pay it back. And so, you know, so, okay. But let's just agree. There's some that maybe we would have some disagreement on. But let's just all agree that there is some debt that is just plain dumb. Okay, anything that has lost its value that has been broken, that you no longer have, that you have thrown away or given away, and you are still paying for? Let's, can we agree that's dumb debt? Okay? So we call it consumer debt, but that's, it's just dumb debt. So how do you do that? Now, this is, where, this is why we've been pushing the Financial Peace University. If you have not taken this, if, if you could use some help in this, this is a great resource it really is. He has something that, um, that is just so helpful. Helpful. A plan to get rid of that dumb debt. Proverbs 22, 27. It says, Do not be one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. Sorry about that, sleep train. <laughs> Apparently, furniture qualifies as dumb debt in all of this. Okay? So, Here's, the, oh, here's another one. This is a great one. It goes on. Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. You might, here's something you might do. Take out a packet of sticky notes, okay? And just write the last part of that. The borrower is a slave to the lender. Write that on a sticky note and stick it on the front of your credit cards. So the next time when you pull out the card and you're going to pay for something, you look at that and you go, I don't want to be a slave. You'll put it back in your wallet and stick it. In fact, you might want to just get rid of it altogether. But, but that's the thing. We, we don't realize that what we do is we become a slave to Visa. We become a slave to MasterCard. And I'm telling you, I have done this myself, and I'm still trying to get out of it. But there is a way out. And the Financial Peace University, this, what Dave Ramsey calls it the snowball effect. And here's what you do. Get your credit card statements out. And just get them all together and figure out how much debt you really have, how much consumer debt, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, whatever it might be, okay? Best Buy, you know, whatever it might be. Get it all out there and then put them in order as to what the balance is. And then what you do, and this is his plan, this is one of his baby steps, you start with the one that has the lowest balance. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, I should start with the one that has the highest interest rate because then I'm just paying more and more interest. No, 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 but you'll never get anywhere with that one. The way that he, the snowball effect works is you get all of them together. You start with the one with the smallest balance, the one that will be easiest to pay off. And then you make minimum payments on all the other cards, but this one you'd give as much as you can to pay it off. You just work at it. You just hammer away at that. However long it takes, you get that one paid off. And by the way, don't keep using it while you're trying to pay it off. Okay? That, that's not going to work. Okay? So, so you, you put it aside, you cut it up, you do whatever you need to do to get rid of the thing, and then you just start attacking that one. And then once you've got that one paid off, now you've got momentum. Now you say, wait, whoa, whoa, I can do this. I can do this. So you take that amount, that one's been paid off, you take that amount, 
and you take all of that and add it to the minimum payment on the next card, and you start attacking that one. And then because that one's the, now the smallest one, you're going to have greater success, and you're going to have more money to put to that one. You pay that one off, and then you attack the next one. And it, what it does is it builds this snowball effect. It just, you get this momentum going, and you realize, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And it'll keep you moving forward. If you don't have some kind of plan, you're never going to overcome it. We have offered this class six times now in the life of Northgate U. And um, the class is nine weeks long. And in the time that we've just, just here at Northgate that we have been offering this class, at the start of the classes, okay, everybody has to come clean on their total debt, okay? Total debt from everybody who's taken this class at the beginning of the class was $432,983,000. Just in the nine weeks that the class exists, okay, just through the course of the class by taking that on and working at it, at the end of the nine weeks has paid off $175,396 of debt. What that breaks down to per person or per couple is the average debt per person coming into the class was 39362 By the time was class is over, that debt, average debt paid off was $19,488, almost half in nine weeks, just the length of the class. So you can do it. You just have to decide to do it. And then have the plan to do it. And that's why we're really encouraging you, if you need some help with this, this is a great place to start. And then the fourth one is this. Practice generosity. Now, this is important. Remember we said that this whole idea of margin is making room for what really matters, what matters most. And what matters most is, A, your character, the person you're becoming, and B, your contribution what you are doing in this world, what you are doing with your life. And you don't have to wait until you have margin to be generous. You build it into the program. You build it into your life. Proverbs eleven twenty four. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. That doesn't make sense. No, but that's the way God's economy works. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. See, generosity is one of those things that really matter most. Generosity is the goal, one of the goals of financial margin, to have that availability, to be able to do the things that, that you've always wanted to do, the ability to help and to give to worthy causes that are so important to you. But you got to build it into the whole process. So what you do is you start this budget. And the budget needs to include this. It's a budget that, that is below my income, that I'm living within my means, that there is space in there. Uh, and you can set the percentage however you want it, but there's a space in there for savings, for the margin. okay? And there's a space in there for giving or generosity. You can decide the percent. You decide the percentage goals. I'm not even going to tell you what they should be. I know what they, I think they should be. I know what I've made them. But but you decide, okay? But then, then work the budget. Work the budget. Live within your means. 
budget in the budget, that savings, that space for the cushion, for the margin, and budget in there the space for the giving, for the generosity. Again, Proverbs eleven twenty five says this, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. I have made my share of financial blunders along the way. But the one thing that has always been a part of my personal finances, and for Betty and I for the 40 years almost now that we've been married, that has been a part of our family finances, there has always been a place for giving. And like I said, for me, it started out with my parents teaching me 10%. But over the years, it has expanded as we've, we've had building projects that we've given to. We've had um, more and more orphans that we've sponsored in Uganda. We have had um, friends go into the ministry or into the mission field that we've made financial commitments to, the work of God through them, different organizations, different causes that are important to us. And it has grown over the years. But it's because we put it into the budget. And we made that a priority for us. And, and that's the way you've got to do it. And, and yes, I've made my share, and we have made our share of financial blunders, but the one thing we have never cut back on is the generosity piece of it. And the one thing I have never regretted is to holding to that part of it. Because here it is. The bottom line is not the bottom line. The bottom line is the person you're becoming and what you're doing with your life. And God's desire for you and God's desire for me is that I would become more and more like him. And he is a good, gracious, and generous God. I mean, I mean think about it. He gave you your life. He gave you this world that we live in that is so filled with beauty and majesty all around us. And, and when we, through our sin and our rebellion, lost it all, he didn't give up on us. He didn't stop giving. In fact, he gave even more. He gave his one and only son who came and gave his life on a cross so that you and I could be forgiven and given a new life. And when we reflect his character, then a little bit more of up there comes down here. A little bit more of his character and his generosity is reflected in our lives. And that is the real bottom line. Would you bow your heads with me? I really believe financial margin might be the most important margin you can establish in your life because I have seen how much it impacts all the other areas that we've talked about through this whole series. Here's the other thing I know it is probably the hardest one to do because we live in a culture that fights against it. It is an uphill battle. It is swimming upstream against the strong current because everything in our culture says newer, brighter, shinier, fancier, buy me, buy me, buy me. Then your life will be complete. And all too often I have bought into that lie and I've made that purchase, and it hasn't improved my life one bit. But I keep buying into it. This, this is an uphill battle. But it starts with a decision. And I know how hard it is. I know how hard it is in my own life. I know how hard it's going to be for you. So I want to be able to support you and pray with you and pray for you. So if you're here today, and you're just willing to say, okay, I've got to carve out 
some margin in my finances. I can't keep living this way. I've got to make some changes. And and those changes aren't going to start right here in this moment, but it will start with a decision you can make right here in this moment. And there's something about making that decision known that others can support me and pray for me in that's so helpful. So if you're here today and you're willing to say, that's me. I've got to do better at this. I've got to attack this thing. I've got to change the way I'm handling my finances. And this is going to be a hard thing for me. I could use your prayers. Would you, just like we do every week, just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment. Catch my eye so I can acknowledge and tell you I'm praying with you. Yeah, and you. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. God can give you the strength and the discipline. It starts with these decisions we've talked about today. Now, maybe you're here, yeah, maybe you're here. And really, and it's really not what we've talked about, except maybe at the very end this morning this afternoon, but, it, but really it starts with the first decision to just entrust your life into God's hands. That, that you're willing to say, I have made enough mistakes and failure and sin in my life and I can't undo it and I can't make up for it. What I really need to do is start square one. God, would you take me just the way that I am? Would you forgive me of my sin? I want to put my life in your hands. And it's a very first step of faith. And again, I know that's not what we've talked about so much today, but it might be something that God's doing in your heart and you need to respond with a first step of faith. And I don't want to miss the opportunity to give you to do that. So if that describes you, it's for you a first step of faith to put your life in Christ's hands and receive his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. Same thing, would you just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment so I can see and acknowledge you and pray for you as we close. All right. So this is our prayer. Lord, here we are. With our mistakes, with our failures, with our faults, with our sin, God, we want our lives to reflect you, and we can't do that on our own. We want to reflect you in our finances, in our relationships, in in every aspect of our lives. And today, many of us are just raising our hands saying, this is an area that I've got to tackle, and I can't do it in my own strength. I need your help. God, would you give me the wisdom, the strength, and the discipline to follow through? And for those who raised their hand saying, this is a first step of faith, just in this moment of acknowledging our need and our sin and asking for your forgiveness and asking for you to put that new life within us, God, we entrust that all to you and pray that you would do that work right now in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. You may-